Welcome to Vote, the podcast. If you're feeling overwhelmed or confused or frustrated about voting, or if you just want to be a better resource to your friends, families, and neighbors, then you downloaded the right podcast. We're going to be here all the way until November, answering your questions about voting. Because this election isn't just going to be about who we vote for, it's about how we do it. We are the Voting Preppers. Hello, Andrea. How are you? Hi, Kat. I'm doing well. Yay. I'm so excited. We're on episode two of the podcast. Although (laughs) it's only been a week. I think we're going to say this every week, but it's only been a week since the last podcast and already things have changed. I mean, first of all, fascism is just in full swing. They're kidnapping people off the streets. Supreme Court is making more bad decisions. And uh, all of these, all of these sort of election sort of things we're talking about are getting more relevant every day as we descend into even more apocalypse. The good news is that everyone's paying attention to voting much earlier this year, which is the key thing for being prepared. I mean, and being prepared is what we're all about. Uh, So hi, everyone. I'm Kat Calvin, the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote. We help people get the ideas that they need for jobs, housing, medical care, COVID testing, life, and in a lot of states to vote. We work to help make sure that the folks who we help get IDs also have everything that they need to go from registration to actually getting to the polls, which is a much longer journey than people think it is. I started Spread the Vote in early 20. 2017, I, because I saw the enormous need for a national organization to help people actually get IDs in their hands. I have always paid a lot of attention to voting rights and uh, was devastated when the Voting Rights Act was torn down by the Supreme Court in 2013. I grew up with stories of my grandmother telling me about watching her parents pull out the jar of change that they collected all year so that they could pay their poll taxes so that they could be sure to vote. I knew how important it was. uh, And I understood and I still deeply understand that voter ID laws are a poll tax that are not as easy to pay off as saving a jar of change. And so we work every day to make sure that everyone in the country has absolutely everything they need to overcome the enormous obstacles that are placed in front of us in order to vote. And I tell you all that because last week, Andrea went into this whole deep, heartfelt thing about her family and how they got her into voting. And then my family was like, why don't you love us? And I was like, I do. I just mostly like talking about Netflix. So Andrea, there you go. I have shared something very important to me about my family. Grandma, I hope you're listening. And uh, Andrea, now it's your turn to tell us a little bit about what you were like when you were little baby Andrea. I'm Andrea Haley. When I was a child, I wanted to be a tightrope walker and sing with Pavarotti, which is obviously a very clear path to my position as CEO of Vote.org. Vote.org has been working tirelessly to simplify the voting process and guarantee that everyone has the right to vote, especially during a pandemic when no voters should have to choose between their health and their democracy and the vote apocalypse. <laughs> Uh, Well, Andrea, the drama has only just begun. If you're a fan of any reality TV, you may as well just honestly turn it off and just look at the news because things are and continue to be insane. This election is insane. Let's be real. I've stopped watching TV. I used to watch West Wing. Yay, Bradley. I used to watch, um, oh, what is that TV show with Kevin Spacey? House of Cards. I used to watch (laughs) Veep. Um, I don't watch any of them anymore because the real world is 
so crazy. And it's actually so crazy that if you were watching what's actually happening in 2020, but as a TV show, I think I might have stopped watching that too, because I'd say, oh, they lost the plot. Like, you can't write scripts like this. You can't make this up. I would have been like, this TV show is really taking a crazy turn. Fire One too many. the showrunner. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I can't even read dystopian novels anymore because they're boring. Because it's like, well, I mean, we're going through this right now. This isn't exciting anymore. It's just, it's more, just, it's just more news. It's like watching CNN or reading Parable of the Talents. It's exactly the same thing. But here we are. We are in the middle of a pandemic, uh, multiple apocalypse, and yet we still have jobs in which we are trying to protect uh, our democracy, which now means also considering how we protect our health. Uh, and that's why we started this podcast. And today's topic for that podcast is one that you're all hearing a lot about and probably think is a super simple, easy thing. And we are here to tell you that it's not, but it can be. Vote by mail. Yay. Our question comes from Aminatu So and Ann Friedman, this super fabulous bestie co-host of the very popular podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. They're also co-authors of the brand new book, Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Hi, this is Ann Friedman. And I'm Aminatu So. And we have noticed that there is a global pandemic happening, which might make it not so easy for people to show up to their polling places to vote in person. So I am lucky enough to live in the state of California, which makes it pretty easy to vote by mail um, in all elections, not just when there is a pandemic happening. And I fully credit my vote by mail status with getting me to turn out to vote in, say, local elections where there's maybe only one thing on the ballot and it might otherwise be kind of hard for me to make time to go to a polling place. Um, I also, when it's not a pandemic, travel a lot. And so that's another reason why voting by mail as sort of a default um, is something I have really come to rely on and something I wish everybody had access to be able to do. I love that. You know, my favorite thing about elections is that it is such a reminder of the values that we have as a community. I have really, 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 really enjoyed hearing from my friends um, about the voting plan that they're making, how they plan, um, you know, on making decisions about who they are supporting in the election. And in this moment of pandemic, it's been such a good and hearty reminder to hear from people that you can um, sign up to vote by mail. So can you help unpack why exactly vote by mail is so controversial? Thanks, Anne and Amina. Pick up their book, Big Friendship, everybody. It's really great. Uh, so first of all, I love that they are talking about their voting plans. I mean, first of all, I love a plan. I love a spreadsheet. Anybody who has one or both is my best friend for life. So call your girlfriends, invite me to join the circle. Uh, but if the word plan isn't sexy enough for you, then call it a scheme or a game plan or a go bag. It's your voting go bag, you guys. Come on, we can get behind this. We've all seen... Does Liam Neeson have a go bag? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Move on. The point is, the time is now to start making a voting plan. Yep. And part of that plan is voting by mail. So let's dive in. Andrea, vote by mail. We could write like a hundred books on the subject. Yes. Yes, we could. We could and we might. But until then, let's start with some basics. When did vote by mail, or it's also called absentee voting in some states, begin? 
This is interesting because vote by mail or absentee voting became a hot topic in the last few months, even though we've had vote by mail and a history of vote by mail in this country that goes all the way back to the Civil War, where Civil War soldiers were able to vote by mail absentee while they were away fighting in other states. So this is not a new topic in the United States of America. It's as American as apple pie. First of all, I'd like to know if apple pie really is American. Second of all, shout out to the Pony Express, who I assume is who was doing the delivering of the ballots during the Civil War, because they're awesome and we love our postal service. Andrea, can you talk about what vote by mail even is? I mean, you run an organization that helps millions of people apply for absentee ballots. Uh, So can you give us a brief description of what, what, what vote by mail means? Yes, at Vote.org this year, we've helped over a million people since January alone to request their absentee ballot. So Vote by Mail is the ability to receive your ballot at home and be able to cast your vote and then drop it off at your local election office or Dropbox or send it back through the Postal Service to your election official. Basically, you make your voice heard literally from your kitchen table, your couch, wherever. Yeah, but how does it work? We have a complicated system in this country where 50 states administer their own elections, and every state has different rules. Some states like Colorado, Utah, and Hawaii have had vote by mail for many election cycles. In Colorado, they automatically send ballots by mail to every voter every election. Other states have had another version of this called absentee voting, where you actually have to ask for a mail-in ballot. At Vote.org, we have an absentee request tool that you can use if you live in one of those states. There are a few states that are still evaluating their rules for the fall, of course. So, while not everyone can vote by mail, and the rules vary from state to state to state, one thing you can do right now, and yes, I mean like right now, like you can pause the podcast and do this right now, is that you should request your absentee ballot as early as possible. One reason you want to do this now and not later is that as states scale up for larger vote-by-mail programs, what could occur is a crunch on printing right at the deadline, which might mean that you might not receive your ballot and you'll have to go in person. So request your ballot early and also make sure you have a backup plan. Absolutely. And the next thing that I cannot, I cannot emphasize this enough, you guys, read the effing directions. Record numbers of vote-by-mail ballots have already been thrown out this year. Over 100,000 of California's primary ballots were thrown out, and that's been the case all over the country. And the number one reason is people aren't reading the directions. So, Andrea, what's one thing people need to look out for when they're filling out their ballot to make sure that they are doing it correctly? Signature. Yes, your ballot can be thrown out if you don't sign in the right place, or if your signature doesn't match the one that's on file. Think about what your signature looks like. Does it match the signature on your voter registration card? Signatures change. Oh, and you almost always have to sign the back of the envelope in order for your ballot to be counted. That's absolutely right. And there are two other things that are important to be aware of. Right now, they are policies in uh, several states, but a few weeks ago, the Supreme Court just okayed this, which means that we're probably going to see it uh, in more and more states. And we will update you as laws change in different states as to what the new laws are, but things that are really important to be aware of uh, for when you're planning ahead. So number one, Many states require that your absentee ballot is either notarized or witnessed by two different people. So obviously this is a challenge 
even in normal times, but now during COVID, you might be quarantined alone or only with one other person. So this is really important to know ahead of time. And then you can maybe call two friends who've also been quarantining alone and you can all do a socially distant signature swap. The other thing to pay attention to is that a lot of states require a physical, like paper, like old school 90s paper photocopied copy of your ID that you have to turn in either with your absentee ballot request form or with your actual absentee ballot. So it's really important that you think ahead, like, does my mom own a printer? Can I like get her to make a copy of this? Like, how can I make this work? Uh, Because that's something you're going to have to have. And if you don't have an ID or if you know someone who doesn't have one, then please go to spreadthevote.org slash vote. Let us know that you need help getting an ID. And if we can, we will do everything we can to help you vote. So at the end of the day, it's so important to just read the effing directions. There are going to be a lot of places on your absentee ballot where you may just not see one thing and it will totally invalidate your ballot. And Andrea and I are not sitting here putting our hearts and souls into this podcast for you to vote and miss one signature on the back of your envelope and then your ballot is invalidated. So if you do it for no one else, do it for us read the directions, plan ahead, make sure your vote is counted. Personally, I love vote by mail. Like Ann Friedman, I live in California, where we can always vote by mail. I haven't voted with pants on in years. I just, I I can't imagine why you would vote if you have to like wear clothes and not have a bottle of wine in front of you. It's insane. Vote by mail, it's the best. I'm a Midwesterner. I live in Indiana. And the thing with Indiana is that normally to absentee vote, you have to have an excuse. Like, I'm going to have to be out of the country or I'll be in the hospital. In Indiana, we were able to vote absentee in the primary, but the governor has not yet announced whether he's going to allow COVID to be an excuse to vote absentee in the fall. Super frustrating because in the middle of a pandemic, no voter should need any excuse to vote absentee. All states should immediately waive that and allow people to vote from their kitchen table. Now, while we 100% advocate for vote by mail slash what I call pantsless voting and think that works for a large number of people, there are a lot of reasons why folks can't. For example, if you're living in the state of Texas right now uh, and you're listening to us, Honestly, just listen and take notes and hand it over to somebody who lives in a different state or someone who is over 65 in Texas because the Supreme Court just decided that they totally agree with Texas's rules that you can't vote absentee if you're under 65 unless you fit a very narrow set of parameters. Uh, (laughs) Do we like that? I mean, obviously not. Do we seriously question what the Supreme Court was smoking that day? Yes, we absolutely do. But look, I'm not the chief justice. I obviously should be, but the world is unfair. So if you're in Texas, you're going to have to prepare to vote at the polls. And don't worry, we're going to talk in a later episode about how you can do that safely. Spread the Vote also works with many people experiencing homelessness. And you can't have a ballot mailed to your house if you don't have a house. So there are a lot of people for a lot of different reasons who have to vote in person, which is another reason why it's important for everyone who can vote by mail to vote by mail, because you're going to make sure that the lines are shorter for folks who can't vote from home. Now to Amina and Anne's question, why has vote by mail become so controversial? Well, Across the country, especially in Western states that have had vote-by-mail, like Colorado, Hawaii, Utah, it's not very controversial at all. Matter of fact, 73% of Americans favor, across our entire nation, vote-by-mail. And vote-by-mail is a safe and secure way to participate in our democracy. Um, In 2016, 
a large number of voters voted by mail. Um, but now we have forces out there that would like to suppress the vote. And they know that in the middle of a pandemic, is, you know, a good way to suppress the vote is to tell people that they can't vote by mail. And so it really comes down to, um, do the people who are making vote by mail controversial believe in everyone actually participating in voting or not? Because if you believe in everybody participating, creating multiple avenues through which people can have their voice heard would not be an intimidating thing. And also, let's talk very briefly about the total and complete falsehood that there is rampant fraud in vote by mail in America. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. There's not fraud. End of story. I don't know what to say. No, I mean, well, we know that you're more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to have that kind of issue. We know that vote by mail is extremely secure, that it can be tracked, and that we have systems in place in states that have been administering vote by mail elections for years now. Those states include Colorado, Utah, Utah being a Republican state, Colorado being more of a purple state. There are Republican secretaries of state and Democratic secretaries of state all throughout this country who support vote by mail. There are local and county officials who are on both sides of the aisle who also support vote by mail. So, I mean, this is something that we know is effective and that it works and that over time it increases turnout and it's an extremely secure solution. And it's especially secure in the middle of a pandemic when we don't want to spread COVID. Um, yeah. And speaking of spreading COVID, wear a freaking mask. I mean, I just, I can't, if you're not wearing a mask, don't even listen to this podcast. I can't with you. Wear a mask. All of Florida, wear a mask. Uh, but along with wearing a mask, uh, vote by mail. And, you know, you know it's safe. We have done multiple studies on the security of vote by mail over the years. And every study has found that when they look at all of the vote by mail ballots in the country in recent years, the actual percentage of fraudulent ballots was 0.0025%. You guys, that's a big fat nothing. It is a big fat nothing. So, I mean, look, this is America. We don't really think most of our systems are secure. Our whole country is basically working on, like, Windows 8. But this is secure, and it's a thing that's, that's not happening. Voter fraud isn't happening at the polls, and it's not happening uh, when you vote by mail. And so it's something that is so not only safe because it's not fraudulent, but it also will keep people safer the less they have to stand in lines at the polls. So really, I mean, look— we're going to go on and on. Pantsless voting is the way to go. I don't know how many more ways to say it. Vote at home. Vote without pants. Vote for America. End of story. Finally, if you're all good, you've requested your absentee ballot via vote.org, and you've helped your friends do the same. That's step one. The next step is advocacy. Make sure your state allows for COVID to be a valid excuse to vote. You shouldn't have to choose between your health and your democracy. After that, make sure that your ballots have time to arrive. In Indiana, any ballot that arrives past noon is thrown out. That's crazy. Ask your state why they're not mailing ballots to you preemptively in the middle of a pandemic. It'd be great if everybody just received a ballot in their home and was able to send that right back in and vote from your kitchen table. Remember that people who administer your elections, they work for you. 
Absolutely. And if your state has restrictive vote by mail rules like ID or age requirements or a requirement for witnesses, contact your secretary of state. You guys, I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how important your secretary of state is. But if you need an example, see Georgia circa 2018 and ask them to change those rules. Also, attend your board of elections meetings. Bonus, they're all virtual right now. So you can do those pantsless as well. <laughs> And if your state requires an excuse to vote by mail, same thing. Call your secretary of state, attend your board of elections meetings. Um, If you don't know what the rules in your state are, go ahead and remember that everyone works for you. All right. So to cap off this episode, we have a chat with the one, the only, Bradley Whitford, our very favorite Josh Lyman, our very favorite guy in the whole wide world. And he will be chatting with us about how to stay vigilant and stay active during these crazy times. That's after the break. Hey, it's us, the Voting Preppers. This podcast is brought to you by us. This week at Vote.org, where we work hard to simplify the political process, we are launching our Big day, vote ready day on the 25th, where we're having people from all across the country talk about making their plans to vote. So check us out on the hashtag vote ready. Yay, I love it. Uh, and spread the vote. We are, uh, we actually, oh my gosh, you guys, we have the coolest thing coming up. So on Sunday, the 26th, the absolutely incredible, wonderful, fantastic Yo-Yo Ma is performing for a virtual benefit for us, along with some amazing, amazing artists like uh, Anthony McGill and Jonathan Biss. It's going to be amazing. Uh, you can visit opus2020.com for tickets. And uh, I I am just speechless with excitement. It's Yo-Yo Ma. Oh, my God. The best. Uh, so, yeah, we have some super, super cool things happening over the next week that you guys should check out. And also, sponsor us! Today we're going to talk to Bradley Whitford. He's an Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated actor and political activist. You probably know him as White House Deputy Chief of Staff Josh Lyman in the West Wing. Victory is mine. Great day in the morning, people. Victory is mine. Morning, Josh. I drink from the keg of glory, Donna. Bring me the finest muffins and bagels in all the land. In addition to the West Wing, Whitford also appeared in CBS series The Mentalist, Jordan Peele's movie Get Out, the NBC sitcom Brooklyn Nine-Nine, among many others. But most recently, his political work is what's captured our attention. Uh, So we are here with Bradley Whitford. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you so, so much, Bradley, for being here. You're amazing. Lower your expectations. (laughs) (laughs) My expectations are Josh Lyman high, so I just need you to like reach for that. <laughs> I improvised the whole thing. So. <laughs> Bradley, recently when asked about voter registration, you said, it's important for me, especially in these difficult, confusing times, for young people to understand that the future is an act of their imagination and of their creation. They're not at the mercy of something that they don't have the opportunity to help build. This feels like something that's very personal to you. Have you ever felt that you were subject to a future that you didn't have the opportunity to build? Or why, why, did this, why does this hit you so strongly? I, I think it hits me because of a realization that I have had over the years that for me, the greatest limitations, the chains are, are self-inflicted. Mm. It's when I 
uh, adopt a mindset of passivity and sort of victimization that I, I, I feel like I'm like I'm drowning and it's sort of like the serenity prayer, you know, from AA. Like, like, what do I have to accept, and what can I make, you know, make a real difference on? I, I've been to the protests, and actually, Stacey Abrams says says a great thing about this. Protesting works. It's absolutely urgent. Continue to do it, but protesting is diagnosis. Protesting is is saying. Our civic neck is broken. Our civic leg is broken. We need to heal this. We need to heal it. What happens after that can feel not as satisfying. And I worry about the cynicism, the understandable Mm -hmm. cynicism of young people today Mm -hmm. being handed a world, you know, rife with structural systemic racism and horrible economic inequalities and the planet is, you know, is melting. Uh, I I think the forces of oppression want us to think that we have no power, want us to think that voting is an act of futility, want us to think that the system is corrupt. Now I need a question. (laughs) You can just Um, keep riffing. You're still good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you think that creatives can join forces in this moment in time to really help uh, bring the hope and imagination and and vision for, you know, what things could be like? Like, what do you think the creative contribution is towards the voting process? Well, I think there's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be done. We're trying to get together a big West Wing uh, gathering, bringing attention to the voter suppression going on and what people need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so excited to see what uh, LeBron James is doing because I think that will, you know, reach an audience that doesn't want to get preached at by a predictable Hollywood liberal like me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think we just need to pound out the message of how important voting is. And I also think that young people... And again, understandably, uh, and I think this generation more than mine even, they find the whole idea of political parties as anachronistic, unclean, (laughs) compromised (laughs) idiocy. And they're not wrong. Well, (laughs) no, and and they're not wrong. I I belong to uh, uh, many unions. Uh, I'm very fortunate to, they do a lot of things that I think are idiotic. I would never in a million years, you know, work a non-union gig or cross a picket line because of the simple fact that there is strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that the reticence about being connected to a political party sometimes undercuts the enthusiasm that people might otherwise have. Mm-hmm. And so I try to make young people sort of think about it in a, in, in a, in a different way. Yeah. So I, I think actually that 
is interesting. We have, you know, a lot of young people who contact, I think both of our orgs and are turning 18 or maybe early twenties, but first time voters, uh, who get that everything needs to change. Don't have a lot of faith in the system, um, but also don't have a lot of experience with voting at all. And so it seems really foreign. Uh, you know, I remember my very first voting experience, I got to skip class, in the fifth grade, and I got to fill in the bubble to vote for Bill Clinton. I'm sure that that was illegal, but <laughs> I did. Uh, and I was the oldest, so I got to vote for president, and my brother had to vote for something less important. But, you know, like, it was like that we always went to vote with my mom, yeah. and it was very real, and so it made sense. And I remember I once got pneumonia because we stood outside for hours to watch Bill Clinton speak. I, a lot of formative 90s memories. But, like, you know, when it was time for me to vote, I was like, oh, I, you turn 18, you vote. That's just what you do. And so I think that one of the things that, that we're always sort of talking to young people about is like what it's like to vote for the first time and, and why it's such a big deal. Uh, and so can you tell us a little bit about what your first voting experience was and, and what, what, whether it was then or whether it was a time later where you like had the formative realization of like, oh, this is a thing that I and everyone should be doing. It was always a big deal. My mom uh, was always really involved uh, mm -hmm. in the League of Women Voters. Oh, mm -hmm. yay. yay. Um, so gearing up for elections was like, you know, sort of gearing up for a holiday. We were Quaker. Uh, my brother was a conscientious objector. At one point, my brother uh, was uh, sentenced to go to prison because he had taken a principled stand. He eventually, he did not go to prison, but there was this sense in the house of uh, you know, real life consequences of, of uh, policy decisions. Mm. I, I think the first time I voted was, uh, uh, I was in college and I voted uh, absentee for, uh, Jimmy Carter. That's good awesome. vote. That's a good vote. That's one of the things we're trying to really impress at vote.org right now on people, um, especially students, is that you can, no matter what's happening in the fall, whether people are on campus or not, you can always vote absentee and that students absolutely have the right to vote. Yeah, so. do students, do students, uh, I worry about this in Wisconsin, are they registered at college, like in Madison? And then if they're in, if because of the virus, they're up in Green Bay, mm. they need to adjust that, right? Right. It just depends on where they have their residency. So um, if they declared their residency in Madison, they're, you know, they're perfectly able to then, um, and they're home in the fall, say in Arizona or something, they're still able to request their absentee from Wisconsin and vote absentee. So the, um, the key there is just where they determined their residence as whether right. they re, you know, shifted it when they switched schools. <laughs> One brilliant thing I th uh, Mark Elias said is that we need to get universities, technical schools, colleges to become civic hubs, which mm -hmm. are sending out to a specific community up to the minute. I think colleges should be advocates for civic engagement um, for everybody. One of the things that we're finding right now um, at vote.org is that 
we're trying to get um, uni- colleges and universities to send digital tools out to their students. Just one, we know that one blast on an email list, um, providing students with the access to the resources, one in seven students will take the action. What we're finding is that um, schools are interested and excited, but as any large institution does, it like moves a little slower. We're actually starting to get a ton of student athletes that are coming to us um, and asking us to to start a program and wanting our tools. And then the athletic directors are calling right after the athletes call because they really want to make the athletes happy and they know the student athletes are um, leaders on campus. And so the athletic departments sometimes are actually starting to move faster than the um, than the larger entity, which I'm finding really interesting right now. But I think that I think everybody has to reimagine, you know, going back to your original quotation, reimagine what their role in the civic infrastructure really is. I think that traditionally a lot of companies and schools haven't seen themselves as the place for, you know, um, the resource for voting or to help build a healthy and thriving democracy. And now everyone's taking a look around and saying, you know, what can I do and what should my institution be doing? And I think that that's kind of an exciting moment in time. It is. I'm really optimistic that a lot of schools are going to start um, doing this. It's just, uh, it's just, sometimes you have to push people and help them to reimagine what they could be well, what people they be need to understand that there is a direct line between the undeniable racism in 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 police forces across the country uh, and uh, voter turnout. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and being involved in the process up, uh, you know, up and down the ticket. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's um, huge right now that it's part of racial equity. Um, I, the, a ton of the corporations that are now jumping in and saying that they want to allocate corporate social responsibility dollars and, and, and time and skilled staff um, to building a more equitable world. Um, it seems like the next thing that everybody has to sort of realize from the corporate standpoint too, is that part of that is building a reflective democracy, a democracy that looks like the people that it governs. And, and to do that, um, voting is a big part of that landscape. So it seems like the conversation is evolving to get there, but it's the idea that it's not a moment, it's a movement. And we all right. have a collective responsibility. Did you, did you just, there. did yeah, you I just quoted that. Hamilton? I, I think that's the, that is the end of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bradley, before we we hang up, is there anything else, any comments that you want to make to the people listening about voting during the multiple apocalypse? That is, I have decided, I don't like apocalypses. So the plural for apocalypse is apocalypse. I've decided, Merriam-Webster, hit me up. Uh, Anything that you you think is really important for for people to take Uh, home? We need to take responsibility for our own voting and we need to reach out to our social circles and make sure everybody has a plan. Uh, we need to be more, we need to be activists, um, uh, in, in, um, in a way that, uh, you know, our future deserves. And the other thing I always say to young people is that, uh, uh, despair is a luxury that your future cannot afford. Mm. And Mm. action is the antidote to despair. Um, they want you to be cynical. 
Riley, th- I can't thank you enough for joining us. You you exceeded all expectations. You don't need a writer. You're brilliant. <laughs> I, I actually, I have pages of notes of all of your quotes. So thank you. This was fantastic. Anytime. Yes, wonderful. Let me know if I can help. Thank Let you. Let me know if you need me. Kat, what have we learned? Uh, well, first of all, vote by mail is great, but a little complicated. Uh, but it's also our most perfect alternative to voting in person in a pandemic. And so we should all be advocating for it as much as possible and doing it if we can so that people who have to vote in person can be in shorter and safer lines. Right. So the first thing you can do is advocate for yourself. Come up with a plan. Like Amanatu so said, like Bradley Whitford said, have a plan. Go to vote.org and be sure you are registered to vote by mail. Next, you could talk to your friends and family. Send them the link and help them register. And then after they're registered, remember that that is only the first step in the process. Make sure they have the ID that they need. Make sure that they have requested their absentee ballot early. Make sure that if they have to go to the polls, that they know how they're getting there and what they're going to do if they have to stand in line all day and what their ADA rights are if they have a disability or that if they need a ballot that's not in English, whether or not they can do that uh, in their area. So it's really important to not just register, but understand that voting is about so much more than registering so that everybody has followed all of the steps that they need to follow to get to the polls. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be covering the biggest questions and topics each week all the way through election day. To learn more about what's happening at vote.org, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All the socials. Just all the socials. All the socials. And you can find out more about the work of Spread the Vote or donate money at spreadthevote.org. If you have a question that you want us to address on the show, write us at votethepodcast at gmail.com or call the number in our show notes and leave us a message. To find out more about the show, including upcoming episodes or to see our really awesome actionable toolkits that we're putting out every week starting this week to help you be able to actually take action on the things we talk about in the podcast, follow us on Instagram at VoteThePod. And of course, don't forget to both subscribe to Vote the Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and friends, leave us a review. Preferably five stars, but I'm not telling you what to do, but it really helps because we want to make sure that as many people as possible get the message about voting and you can actually really help us do that by just leaving us a simple review. And then I don't know, maybe tell a friend or so. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm not saying anything. Just maybe share it. That's all I have to say. That's the end of the podcast. Have a great day.